AmCham Unmuted, brought to you by the American Chamber of Commerce. Well, hello everybody, and you're all extremely welcome to the latest episode of AmCham Unmuted. And for this episode, we're thrilled to be joined by a broadcaster, a musician, an Emmy award-winning documentary filmmaker, a producer, the creative force behind some of Ireland's most significant and important cultural events with an army of volunteers, Philip King. You're very welcome. Good to see you. Hiya, Mark. Very good to be here and very good to be sitting in front of you and let's see where the conversation takes us. It'll take us in interesting directions, Philip. I'm confident. But speaking of directions, we're, we're having this conversation on the eve of a very significant series of events, gatherings, convenings mm-hmm. in Dingle, Ireland's Edge and other voices. And over many years, people have travelled from as far away as Australia to be present in Dingle with these very special gatherings. Mm-hmm. Why do they come? Well, I guess people like to come to Ireland. I think there's something attractive about the place. The physical beauty of the place, the physical beauty of the west of Ireland itself is very, very attractive. Um, The welcome of the people, the cultural resource that's knitted in to the place itself. And I was attracted to West Kerry and Dingle, of course, is the, the fishing town at the heart of West Kerry as a small boy, really. And in the mid-60s, I went to West Kerry, um, attracted by the language, I guess. I was born in Cork City, and there was something about the cadence of the language or the musicality of the language, of the Irish language, that dropped into my ear as a boy, and it stayed with me. And then, you know, when you go to the place that is the well and the source of that language, like West Kerry, where... At that time, in the mid, mid to late 60s, um, there were far more Irish speakers than there are now. It was really like going to a place where there was such a rich scene of beautiful language. And so many people were attracted to that place. You know, Robin Flower, the, the English scholar, came. Very many Americans came. Very many sort of people who were sort of interested in looking for that jewel, really, of culture found it in abundance in a place like this. So there was the music. There were the players who put the rhythm under the dancer's foot. And there were the poets. And they were. this was all sort of in, in a very natural community of people. And so that's what attracted me day one. And then I went to university and I, I studied Irish in university. And I came across a poem by Sean O'Reardine, the very famous Irish poet, and he wrote a poem called Phil Arish, where he says, which means come back again. And his admonition or his urging, or as we say in Irish, we remember our school days, a mo or the hook, is he ordered, tear fire in the fallish year, thrown on a grain of Gokorkogina, go down one day along the edge of a sunlit cliff to West Kerry, and there you will find what I've just described, that resource. And he says, Bulk Magus for knock and it will be opened unto you. And I feel very lucky and privileged that 
that I did knock, the door was opened, and that I have now, um, 25 years ago, myself, my wife, my family moved there, and out of that journey, really, or that expedition, um, you know, back into Ireland for me, um, the the seeds of what became other voices and what ultimately became Ireland's Edge were sown. Philip, I want to return to a number of the areas you've you've raised, and I want to hear a bit more about other voices in Ireland's Edge in a moment. But first of all, I want you to explain to us, if you could, imagine there is a young boy today who what would like to have the experience you had in Dingle as a young boy and you were carried away by the music, you were carried away by the language, you were carried away by the landscape and the weaving of culture. In 2021, how is that metaphysical, if you will, young boy going to relate to those experiences in the way they interpret the world today? I think young people are relating to those things more than ever, actually. And I think that they are... An, a, a hugely important and enriching piece of what it is to be of Ireland, if you like. Um, we find that more people are gravitating towards the language. We find that more people are playing traditional music than ever. I mean, just witness, you know, the Cobblestone Bar in Dublin is not just a bar. It is a place where people go to sing and to play and to dance. And it is a community of people. So 600 people objected to the place being pulled down. I mean, that was a campaign, if you like, or continues to be a campaign about something that matters for its own sake. You know, so I think these things are to be found all over the place. But I, I also believe there is a digital loneliness attendant to the online life, right? And I think that sometimes what singing a song does, whether it's a rock and roll song, or whether it's a funk song, or whether it's a mosh pit, or whether it's turned up to 11, or whether it's somebody singing a Shandell song, or whether it's Martin Hayes playing a beautiful reel from East Clare, where he comes from, there is solace and succor and humanity in that act. And we have that stuff here. It is absolutely findable. So all of these things are present and I think that we're looking at an amazing portrait of a possibility for Ireland right now. I mean, we could look at the negative, you know, but as I've said in several of our conversations over the years, Mark, there's no point hoping for a better past. You know, what we need is to take our learning, our knowledge and where we are and see if how we can mould and shape the future for the generation that will own the future. And what I, what I know in the 20 years of doing other voices through a turbulent and ever-changing um, 20 years. And there's no need to go into all of the bits and pieces, but what we have gathered up and encoded in that 20 years is the emotional soundtrack of a people in change and in flux. Let's talk a little bit about the co-creation of the emotional soundtrack of the coming years. Mm -hmm. And we're talking at a time where people, I think, are asking deep questions of themselves and deep questions about how they relate to their community. And you made the point about digital loneliness. Mm -hmm. And there is, I think, a tension between the positive dimensions that social media brings to keep people connected, and that's been very helpful during the pandemic, but also it can be a barrier 
to really understanding yourself mm-hmm. and understanding your community and a sense of purpose and identity. Would you talk us a bit about what you'd like the debate to be around as this country shapes its emotional soundtrack for the time ahead? Mm. And it's very interesting that you mentioned that because I was reading um, Gillian Tett's piece in the um, Financial Times just at the weekend and there she says that what she wants to do is to develop what she calls an empathetic AI. Mm. And, you know, Gillian Tett's article was really about if we leave it to techies who exist in one small part of the world in Silicon Valley, right, to design everything, they're going to design it for techies. And she wondered, was that like where we are going to be because techies are very good at designing techie stuff but do they know anything about empathy and sharing and ethics and warmth and humanity and engagement so it's about finding the balance between the human and of course the the, the wonderful work that AI can do Mm. in the areas of medicine so many areas the wonderful you know power of the world wide web to keep us connected but if we go and fall, as Shosanna Zhuboff would have it, the, 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 the age of surveillance capitalism, the woman who wrote that book, the academic who wrote that book, um, if we tumble over into where we are isolated and lonely, where our validation comes from how many likes we have or how many virtual friends we have, um, then... I think we're on the road to perdition and we are reaching a tipping point where, you know, is it telling us how to act or do we own the ball? It is, it, it, it is the question of our age, isn't it, really? Um, it is, you know, is singularity, are we heading down that particular road? Maybe we are. Um, maybe. And you and I talked about this, you know, it's very difficult to change, you know, and addiction um, is present when, with, with the old phone, you know, no messages, no little dopamine hit, no little friends, no little stuff. I feel, you know, what's going on? You know, nobody's calling, you know, somebody sort of didn't like my post or didn't like my new shirt. Or my haircut, um, you know, the validation and the difficulties and the mental health anxiety issues that are attendant to that are profound. But I think, to go back to our earlier point, that we can balance this encroachment, if you like, and our engagement and our, our I, let, let's call a spade a spade, our addiction to the device. You know, if I drive down the road without my phone, I go back. I could easily go on, but I. But what if somebody called? I know. I, I can't. I, 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 like it, it freaks me out, and I'm old, you know. And like I mean, I'm not a digital native, you know. And, I, and I, I have to be shown how to use one of these things. What? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm putting my hand up as well, dear <laughs> listeners. What <laughs> is going on? What is going on? that has the two of us who've been around for a while behaving in that fashion? What is going on? Well, I suppose it's, um, you know, fear of missing out. It's addiction. But it is a very, very powerfully designed platform, right? 
that is designed by very, very clever people mm. to keep you plugged in because of our addiction to consumption. Mm. Let, let, let me ask you this, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and let me run this yeah. phrase by you. We're not here to consume. We're here to commune. Yes. How can the, uh, forgive me if you use the phrase, the arts sector, yes. but how can our engagement with culture, with the arts, with music, with literature, help us to recognize the fact we are fundamentally communal creatures and not consuming creatures? Well, I think that membrane that keeps us together as communities is manifest in what I would put the broadest sense called culture of the arts. You know, it's going to the match. Are you going to the match tonight? Right? Who's going to win? Who's, who's going to win the county final? You know? Um, are you going to that play? Um, Heaney was a terrible loss. And we lost Derek Mahan as well. Mm. You know? Are you two making a new record? Mm. Where's Hosier? You know, are we going to go to that gig? Are mm. we going to buy a ticket for that show and be together? And commune at one of these yes, things. Yes, the shared experience. So let me ask you this question, and let's go back to where we started and bring it all back home to Dingle and other voices mm -hmm. and Ireland's Edge. Share a little bit with us, Philip, the magic of the shared experience you've seen in both Ireland's Edge and other voices. What comes into your mind that you'd love our folks to hear about? Well, I think there's something just truly just ordinary about it mm. really you know that you invite some people to come and play a tune they walk onto the stage of a very small little church of Ireland in the main street in Dingle and something happens that has been happening for centuries yeah. it just happens that um, there is that communication there is that sense of uplift and inspiration there's that sense of saying this is ours or they're saying God I never heard anything like that before I've heard this for the first time so when, you know, Hosier arrived in Dingle first, you know, to do that first show that he ever did, you know, you could hear uh, like a frisson of excitement that you sort of saying, God, isn't that fantastic? Or Christy sits on the stage, you know, and, and, and does his thing, you know, like, 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 like you just can't imagine. Or Lisa Hannigan sings in that beautiful voice of hers. Or Amy Winehouse arrives, you know, in her little falling down beehive hairdo and you know her tiny frame and she hops literally onto a stage and sings what the London Times called last week you know the fifth greatest gig of all time ever in the world wow you know wow the shared yes the shared experience yes. the shared experience so it's an open forum you know people can say what they will there is no uh, we don't there is no we never say to a, a musician, I want you to play this, this, this and this. The question is, what would you like to Yeah, love it. Now, Philip, you you and Nuala mm -hmm. worked on a landmark documentary series, bringing it all back home. Sure. And in that, amongst other things, you explored the cultural and musical linkages mm -hmm. between the United States of America mm -hmm. and Ireland. That's right. What stands... What, what, what comes into your mind today about what you discovered then? Well, I've been thinking quite a bit recently um, about the Everly Brothers. Yeah. And some people won't know who the Everly Brothers are. Uh, there were two brothers. Their mother and father were singers. Their father, Ike Everly, was a great singer. 
and um, there were two truly remarkable singers, Don and Phil Everly, and um, Don passed away a couple of months back. And I sat in a room with the Everly Brothers um, in Cowboy Jack Clements recording studio in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, which had been the scene of some great, great recording sessions with so many different artists. And when the Everly Brothers begin to sing, something happens, mm. right? Um, they have a closeness of harmony that is truly remarkable. And I think it only happens in families, actually. They don't ever work out what it is they're going to sing. But let me just say this. Without the Everly Brothers, you don't have the Beatles, right? And Paul McCartney will say, what we, what John and me wanted to be was them, wow. right? Wow. Without the Everly Brothers, you don't have Simon and Garfunkel because when Simon and Garfunkel started out, they were called Tom and Jerry, right? And they sang in that beautiful, close harmony. And you don't have Crosby, Stills and Nash, and you don't have all of that stuff. But the Everly Brothers had this this amazing thing. And I mean, they had, between 1956 and sort of, say, 62, you know, they had about 18 number one hits, wow. you know, Bye Bye Love. You know, you'll know them. Mm. I'll do my crying in the rain. Mm. You know, except we could reel them off, right? And in that room, Liam O'Flynn, the piper from Planksty, was with us and sat down and played these tunes with the Everly Brothers that they sang. And when I close my eyes, I'm in the room. So what I remember really was here were two people without which rock and roll couldn't happen. Wow. So, so that 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 bye bye that wake up little Susie riff, right? Which Jimmy Page and Led Zeppelin will say, that's that's it. That's a Don Everly riff. You know, that changed the possibilities for rock and roll. So they're singing songs from a record that they made with their father called Songs Our Daddy Taught Us. And if you look at bringing it all back home, they said he had a songbook and we don't know where the songs came from, but they must have come from the old country. They must have come from here. And you see, Philip King, you have constantly reminded us that where culture goes, commerce follows. So what you have just beautifully laid out for us there would be wonderfully helpful to people working for American Chamber of Commerce companies because what happened with that exchange of culture, ideas, questions, discovery has enabled the bonds of commerce as well. Philip, this conversation could go on for an awful long time but and it may reconvene but for the moment, I want to say, first of all, Philip, to you, thank you for what you do. And I want to say to everybody listening, please, if you don't know about Philip King and what he does, find out about it, support it, uh, tune in to other voices. And when we're allowed, travel to Dingle, experience what he calls ordinary, others might call magic happenings in a beautiful part of Ireland. It's really Really important work, Philip. Thank you. Well, good to meet you, Margaret. Mark, I mean, it's 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 great to sit down and talk to you. Um, I I, I love our chats uh, because we never know where the where where they're where, where they're going to go. But everybody who's listening, you're very welcome to come to West Kerry. I mean, it's an amazing lineup of people. This lineup of musicians, which will include, you know, Sam Fender from England, uh, Fontaine's DC, uh, Dermot Kennedy, Sigrid. 
um, villagers for the Gartland is just it would it would grace the main stage of the biggest festival in the world wow. and literally 70 people in the little church wow. right so but it'll be streamed online well done live as it happens every evening on the Thursday Friday Saturday and Sunday 26 25 26 27 28 November so folks you heard it from the man himself other voices streamed live if you can't make it to Dingle if you can make it to Dingle have a great time but be sure it's a bit like going to Mecca before the time comes make sure you've been to Dingle thank you all for joining us for this great episode of Am Cham Unmuted huge thank you to our series producer Aoife O'Brien stay safe stay well see you soon <laughs>